As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. Amen. How many of you here have heard the expression, first world problems? First world problems. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you heard it on the TV or the radio. Maybe you saw it on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever it may be. Um, first world problems. And, and there might be some of you that don't know what a first world problem is. I'll give you an example. We in America live in the first world. We are first world people. We are a first world country. Um, the grand, grand, grand majority of people in this country have a cell phone, computer, and internet. And with those three things, we actually have the world at our fingertips. And I bet with those three things, or, or access to those three things, you or I could provide for ourselves and for our family without even leaving our house. It's that incredible. Those three things are unbelievable when you actually sit down and think about it. But uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I'm not the only one who has said about my computer and my phone and my internet, what a piece of junk. This is too slow. I can't do anything about this. I can't get any work done. This is just so annoying. Why did I spend my money? I thought this was supposed to be the latest and greatest best thing, right? But when you think about it, that's going to the outer space to satellites and back, and we're thinking that it needs to be like that. I mean, that's amazing, but we're complaining about that, right? These powerful tools that make our lives so much easier and more comfortable, we end up mocking and we end up looking at on them like, this is useless, this is worthless. That's a first world problem. Now, compare that with third world countries and their problems. For us, that's a hard thing, dealing with our internet and phone. But third world countries and third world people are wondering, is there going to be water in the well today? And if there's water... Is it going to be safe to drink? Or they're wondering if their electricity is going to be on for over half the time this month. Or they're wondering if there's even going to be enough food for their entire family to eat. Those are third world problems. And when you think about the difference, it's it's crazy because it's hard for us first world people to comprehend what they go through. Let alone, it's in truth, it's difficult and it would be interesting to compare what a first world person thinks about Jesus with what a third world person thinks about Jesus. Because we as first world people find it hard to not be mad at Jesus when he doesn't work as fast as Amazon, especially Prime Now, which can get what you want to your door in an hour. Have any of you had that thought about Jesus? That you're mad at him for not doing what he wants, what you want, and what you want now? Sadly, I think we can all raise our hands and say, Yes, I have thought that way about Jesus. Jesus lived in a time of third world people. He was in a third world country, he was a third world citizen. He wasn't a first world person, but there were first world people in his time. 
For example, there was a young rich ruler who came and talked to him. There was Pontius Pilate. There was the chief priest and his family, very wealthy. There was a little king, or not a little king, a king of a small area in northern Israel by the name of Herod. And all these people came in and had contact with Jesus in that last week of Jesus' life before he died. And tonight we're going to look at Herod's moments with Jesus. And interestingly enough, we're going to find ourselves in that story too. And to get to where we are in, in the Passion history, we've got to rewind a little bit. Jesus was arrested on Maundy Thursday in the Garden of Gethsemane. All his followers left him. Uh, his disciples left him. He was betrayed by one of his disciples. His leader of his disciples, Peter, had denied him not once but three times already. And he was led to the Jewish ruling council who accused him and mocked him and scorned him. And then they sent him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him. He wasn't getting an answer. Pilate, in his mind, is thinking, what am I going to do with this case? This is only going to lead to trouble, and I don't want to have to deal with it. And so he's thinking, how in the world am I going to get rid of this case? But when he asks that magical question, where are you from? And he finds out Jesus is from Galilee, and wouldn't you know it, the ruler of Galilee happens to be in Jerusalem. Whoosh! What a relief, right? So Pilate sends Jesus to Herod to get rid of the case because he doesn't want it. But God sends Jesus to Herod because he wants to save Herod's soul. Let's read Luke 23, verses 6 to 12 to find out Herod's moments with Jesus. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. This is the word of our Lord. Now, you might be wondering who this Herod is because there are multiple Herods in the Gospels. There's two. The first Herod that we run into, and we've got to keep this straight, it helps with the story, the importance. The first Herod you run into, he is called Herod the Great. And he's at the beginning of Jesus' life. When Jesus was born, there was the wise men, they came to visit Jesus, and they went to Herod first, that was Herod the Great. And then Herod the Great got all scared that another king was coming, so he killed all the babies two years and under. And during that time, Jesus and Mary and Joseph went down to Egypt until Herod the Great died. And then they came back to Israel. But before Herod the Great died, he had a son named Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas is this Herod that we find in Luke 23. And there's also one more important tidbit of knowledge about Herod Antipas. He was the guy who beheaded John the Baptist. So keep that in mind. Herod the Great killed the babies when Jesus was born. His son, Herod Antipas, killed John the Baptist. And keep that in mind. It helps explain his emotions on some things. 
So Herod, we got to first understand Herod killing John the Baptist. So Herod Antipas, remember, he wasn't a nice man. He learned from his father not to be a nice man. And he went to his younger brother and took his younger brother's wife and didn't think anything about it. And his, this wife, his new wife, also had a daughter that wasn't his. It was his younger brother's. So he took his younger brother's wife, and then John the Baptist hears about this. So he goes to Herod and says, What you've done is against God. What you've done is adultery and sinful and wrong. And Herod, Herod Antipas, the Herod here in 20, Luke 23, said, Well, I don't like what you're saying, but I'm too scared of you to kill you. And in fact, I kind of am intrigued by what you're saying, even though I don't understand it, and I don't agree with all of it. So I'm not going to kill you. I'll just have you arrested. So Herod arrested John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is in jail. And then Herod's new wife, the former ex-wife of his brother, Herod's brother, is just hates John the Baptist. She hates him. She wants him dead. She hates that John the Baptist confronted them about what they were doing. So one day, Herod throws a party for all his officials. And in this party, he has his stepdaughter come and dance for them. And Herod is half drunk, and he's mesmerized by this stepdaughter dancing for them. And he promises, I will give you anything that you want because you've, done, you've pleased me so much. And so she runs back to her mom, and she asks her mom, what should I ask for? He can, he's going to give me anything. And the, the mother of Herod, or the, the wife of Herod, the mother of the stepdaughter, says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So the daughter runs back, tells Herod, and Herod wasn't too happy about that either because, remember, he was scared of John the Baptist. And he was reluctant to kill him, not only because he was scared of John the Baptist, but the people, but he didn't want to go back on his word in front of all these people, so he did it anyways. And he presented John the Baptist's head on a platter. And ever since that moment, Herod lived in fear that John the Baptist was going to come back from the dead and take his revenge. And then Herod heard about this Jesus fellow preaching and doing signs, and he thought, perhaps this was my worst nightmare coming to be. Perhaps this is John the Baptist coming back to take revenge on me. And he was, wasn't happy and he was scared. And so, now on Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, when he finds out that Pilate is sending Jesus, the same Jesus who he was scared and heard about, to him to see him, what do you think was going on in Herod's mind? Do you think he was happy and excited because the one man that he can repent and ask forgiveness to is going to stand in front of him? Or do you think that he is trembling in his boots? He's scared out of his mind. He thinks John the Baptist is going to come back and get him. Actually, he's thinking neither of these things. He's done what most people do with their deep, dark sins that they don't want anyone to find out about and they never want to deal with again. He took that guilt and that shame that he had from killing John the Baptist and he buried it deep down inside of his heart so he never had to think about it again, that he never had to deal with it. He took all those emotions, tied them in a bag, and put them in the recesses of his being. And that void then, 
to, to keep himself distracted, he filled his life with amusement and entertainment. And so, he wanted then to see Jesus, the great magician. He wanted Jesus not to confront him, but he wanted Jesus to do all these signs that he thought that Jesus was going to do. He wanted to be amazed and wowed. He wanted to be ooed and odd. He wanted Jesus to be Jesus the Magnificent, who's going to put on a show and entertain him for that whole day. That's what he wanted Jesus to do. And isn't it ironic that, that the one man who, could, who came to forgive and save Herod, the one man who came that could have given him the relief of all those spiritual problems, of all those emotional tensions and stresses, was standing right in front of him. And all Herod wanted to do was see a show. And you've got to ask yourself, what, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Have you found yourself in your prayers, having your petitions change from requests and asking in, in sincerity to demanding God does something for you? As a first world person, maybe you're thinking, well, I just want Jesus to fix this society. I want Jesus to do it now. If he was a loving God, wouldn't he do that? Or maybe you want Jesus to give you that happiness in your marriage or that significant other because you see everyone else has that. And you demand it instead of asking for it. And most importantly, I think when we find ourselves and you look at whatever your asking Jesus to do for you now, what it comes and boils down to is you want Jesus to change your circumstances, not in the future, but right now, in this moment. It's what you want Jesus to do for you. And we first world people, especially us first world people, don't find it so easily to say we want Jesus to forgive our sins all of them right now. We, we find it hard to say that we want Jesus to do all the work for us because we are so addicted to being self-sufficient. We are so addicted to wanting to do everything for ourselves, to wanting to be the hero of our story, that Jesus cannot be. In fact, there's no room for Jesus to be our hero. And... Again, it's, it's that question. If Jesus truly was a loving God, when we think about Jesus wanting to do what we want, if Jesus truly was a loving God, you might be thinking to yourself, why don't you make heaven on earth in the year 2016? And with hardened hearts, we don't realize that Jesus didn't come to change our circumstances. With hardened hearts, we don't realize that we mask our sin and our guilt like Herod with desires for amusement and our life now to be better. And we do that because we are sinners, and inside of every sinner, there's a Herod. A Herod who wants entertainment and amusement. And Herod did want entertainment and amusement. And that's what we get to the next section. 
And he wanted to see a miracle, but Jesus wasn't doing anything. So what did he do? He decided to take matters into his own hands. He decided to do what every ruler did. He asked this great wise man all the hard questions of the day. But Jesus gave him no answer. Because Jesus wasn't there to entertain, G- to entertain Herod. Jesus wasn't there to put on a show. He wasn't there to amuse Herod. In fact, Jesus wasn't even there to defend himself. Because the chief priests and the teachers of the law were also in this room with Herod. And they weren't standing there silent like Jesus. They were standing there vehemently accusing Jesus. They have wanted wanted Jesus to die, to be put to death for some time now. And so they were telling Herod that Jesus deserves to die. And Jesus wasn't doing anything not responding to questions or signs. And when you have an expectation of something, and this is you guys, when you have an expectation of how you want something to happen, and you're really excited about it, whatever you're thinking, and then it doesn't go to plan, or you, or you go through it and you realize that wasn't all that it was put out to be, how do you feel about your expectation or that event or whatever you want? You're, you, you change from... Joy, right? You change from joy and excitement to dissatisfaction and you have a negative attitude towards it. Um, I like to think of when I was little, after church or in the grocery store, I always wanted my parents to go home right away, but they wouldn't go home right away. And I would be so frustrated because they weren't doing what I wanted, right? That happened to Herod. He wanted Jesus to perform a miracle and to do this entertainment act for him, but Jesus wasn't doing anything and he wasn't saying anything. And that's when Herod decided, well, at least I'm going to have a little fun on my own. And these chief priests and these teachers of the law, they're saying that he's calling himself a king. Well, he surely doesn't look like a king right now. I bet we can change that, right? You can hear him say that. You can hear those thoughts change from this great magician coming to entertain me, to this guy is a con artist, a mockery, a sham. He's exactly what these chief priests say he is. So let's have fun at his expense. And Luke tells us that they dressed him in the robe, and sure enough, he said, this day is a waste, send you back to Pilate. And it's, it's ironic, because Herod wanted to see a miracle, and he thought Jesus was going to perform this great miracle. But Jesus wasn't doing anything. And yet, in Jesus' silence, in Jesus' lack of action, Herod was witnessing firsthand an astonishing miracle. If you think about the time Jesus was arrested to his death, Jesus doesn't say much of anything, does he? And in fact, he was led to a ruling council, didn't say much, he answered yes to one question. He was led to Pilate, said a few things to him, was led to Herod, was abused throughout these times, was mocked and scorned throughout these times. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he didn't open his mouth. In in front of Herod, Jesus completed a prophecy that was centuries old, a prophecy by Isaiah can find him in the Old Testament before Jesus, the first half of the Bible. And Isaiah says, 
He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. Can't you see it now as you, as you look through this scene especially? Can't you see how Jesus was accomplishing the, a big, big miracle? And then when you see that whole scene of Jesus' passion and you look to Isaiah 53 and it's, it describes what the ultimate goal of this whole scene and this whole passion is about, that Jesus came to take all your iniquities and put them on himself so that we will be white as snow. You see that, and you see that God's plan wasn't to entertain certain individuals at certain times. God wasn't here to do what we want at certain times. God was here for one big purpose, one big plan. And he accomplished that plan in Jesus when he saved sinners. Sinners like you, sinners like me, sinners like Herod and Pilate, and you know what? Even sinners like the Jewish leaders. That's what God came to do. That's what God wants and wanted to do, and he did it. And at the end of the day, when Friday ended, Herod and Pilate thought the only good thing was that they became friends. Herod and Pilate, we don't know why they were enemies. We don't know why they were enemies. No, it's not told to us in the Scriptures, but they were. And at the end of the day, what seemed like a waste of a day, a lot of commotion, a lot of stress, a lot of things that happened for this one man to die, they thought, well, at least we're friends now. And on the day when they became friends, they thought that that was the only good thing they witnessed Jesus becoming their greatest friend that they will ever have. When Friday ended, there wasn't a better thing than or there was a better thing than Herod and Pilate's friendship. It was that peace that we have with God as people, as mankind, that we live together in unity with God now because Christ has forged that connection that can never be broken. And if you're wondering that, that if you see in any irony at all, at least maybe see that you have Herod and Pilate in you at times. And you know that because you have the Holy Spirit in you as well, pointing out when you're acting like Herod or you're acting like Pilate. Pilate. And you see that and you don't want to be them. You don't want to be a Herod and you don't want to be a Pilate. You want to be a Jesus follower, Right? And Jesus sees that faith. He sees that you love him as your greatest friend, that he's done everything for you. And he loves that faith. And he wants you to know that he will take you with him wherever he goes. And he tells you that greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And he wants you to know that it wasn't just for Herod that he laid down his his life. It was for you and for me and for your families and for all the people of the world. Because while we were still enemies with Christ, with God, enemies with God, Christ died for us and made us his friends. And another irony to end it all out. We are first world people and we live with a third world Savior. Why? Because he loves all people, all sinners, even Herod's. Amen.